get started. Good afternoon. I'm Judy Williams from the Center for Learning and Professional Development, and I'd like to thank you for joining us for our May session of Nursing Grand Rounds in recognition of Stroke Awareness Month, entitled The Evolving Role of Nurses in Acute Stroke Care, a Strokeologist Perspective. I'd also like to welcome anyone that's viewing this session online. Just a few housekeeping details, and then we'll get started. To sign in, the sign in sheets in the back of the room, and you must attend 80% of this program to receive credit. And this educational activity carries one contact hour. For those viewing online, feel free to email me during the presentation with any questions you may have, and I'll relay them to the speaker. And also, at the conclusion of the program, please email me within one hour with your name, degree, and postal zip code to let me know that you viewed the session online so I can record your attendance. Everyone attending today will receive a link to an online evaluation shortly after the program. The Center for Learning and Professional Development values your feedback and hopes you take a moment to complete the evaluation. Your contact hours will be posted to your online transcript within two weeks, and there are instructions in the back of the room on how to access your online transcript if you need them, or feel free to contact me. Our speaker today is Dr. Timothy Lukovitz. Dr. Lukovitz is the medical director of the um, Cerebrovascular Disease and Stroke Program here at Herman Hitchcock Medical Center and has been in this role for 12 years. He received his undergraduate degree from Dartmouth College and medical degree from the University of Rochester School of Medicine. He is board certified in neurology and vascular neurology. His roots at Dartmouth go back to his internship um, in 1993 and he joined the staff in 2002. He has published almost 20 articles on a variety of topics, including stroke prevention and the relationships between stroke and diabetes. Neither our speaker nor any members of the planning committee have identified a financial interest or relationship with a commercial entity or any conflict of interest regarding this activity, and no one refused to disclose. Thank you very much. We're delighted to have Thank Dr. Lillian. Thanks. This is my catchy title slide um, that I borrowed from some other people. But, uh, I can relax now. I didn't know the audience was uh, going to be so familiar to me. So I was expecting um, a lot of people I didn't know. So um, I know most of the people on this side. I don't know. It's like the, at the wedding, that side. I know uh, but so are you? I'm sorry, I don't recognize you. I'm from orthopedics. Orthopedics, okay. And do you remind me? Um, I'm Sandy Soho. I'm in palliative care. Oh, great. Okay. All right. And I know just about, I'm sorry, can you remind me? Oh, PFA. Patient family advisor. Okay, yes. Also a patient. Okay. Everyone else I recognize. Um, so. Okay. Well, hopefully this will be something for everybody here. They wanted me to have some learning objectives. Um, I was hoping to have the audience um, appreciate some of the non-traditional nursing roles um, in acute stroke care um, and also be able to access some of the online resources for stroke education. Um, actually, there's some related to palliative care specifically now that the American Heart Association have developed. Um, so I have a couple disclosures they required. Uh, one is I have a lot of uh, nurses in my family. Um, so this goes back to my great-grandmother who was a nurse midwife in Hungary and she ended up <clears throat> marrying the local barber shop uh, barber who was the chief of the ambulance. So they, they basically started the uh, small town ambulance there um, 
in uh, the town I grew up in. And then my mother-in-law is a nurse uh, for many years at the Leahy Clinic. She's now retired. And um, my sister's a nurse practitioner in diabetes in Albany. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on me to say the right things today. Uh, and I was a nurse in a, this is back from my work at the Leahy Clinic. Um, this was probably, uh, let's see, 87, no, 92 or so. I was in med school and I worked for a summer uh, on the way he cardiology for. I think Dr. Butterly was there then. So, um, so those are my only disclosures, I think. Um, so last week was Neuroscience Nurses um, Week. Um, some of you may have noticed uh, that some signs up around the floor. Now, I have to. I have to admit that I, um, you may not have gotten my cards yet. This is a neuroscience uh, nursing uh, group, but I have an excuse for that. And one of it is that I really don't know who a neuroscience nurse is nowadays, because it, it used to be very easy. So Donna Crawley, you know, everybody knew her. That's who I think of with, you know, neuroscience nursing. I don't know if any of the other people who uh, knew her um, don't tell her I am portraying her as like the old. This is new, because she'll kill me, but I know she's coming around here in a couple weeks, so that's not the point of this, but um, now, just to show you, um, I'm really gaining appreciation for all the different kinds of uh, nursing care, so I'm not trying to slight the importance of the bedside nurses who take care of our stroke patients, so these are some of the nurses from Five West, um, and, but I'm going to sort of emphasize some of the other areas today. Um, so this is, uh, maybe we could turn down the light a little. They changed these screens so it's hard to see people. <clears throat> but this is uh, from the transfer center, Dan Voda. I probably talked to him six times a day. Um, and I told him he looks a lot better person than I imagined. Um, so, but we, um, this is the flight nurse. Um, I don't work them, with them too much, but sometimes our patients are brought by helicopter. Um, Amanda uh, Bubar is a nurse practitioner who works in the clinical decision unit, and we have a TIA uh, protocol there. Um, we have, um, this is Lynn Chase, who's one of the ER nurses, who also does a lot with quality improvement, so we're starting to work with her more as well. And um, we have some of our nurse practitioners within our stroke program. So Jillian Belmont is one of our inpatient nurse practitioners, and um, Robin is here, who is our, basically our outpatient uh, nurse practitioner in our program. So that's been a big, uh, we didn't have any of this when I came here 12 years ago. Um, it was just Donna and me, basically. No, no, there weren't any other nurses in our program uh, in neurology at that time. Um, this is Connie Thompson, so our clinical resource coordinators are basically like neuroscience nurses in a lot of ways. Um, this is Holly uh, George who's in the quality office, and she helps us with all our data collection as well. She was the most camera shy, and I got her picture yesterday. Um, Sandy Snowgren is a nurse from Five West who's now a research coordinator. Um, so some of our nurses are in that capacity now too. So uh, don't worry, Nancy, I have you in here. So Nancy's our, uh, our program manager now, and she has a background of wearing lots of other hats too. So. I think she's kind of an example of how neuroscience nurses are really um, more complicated. So my card's in the mail. But, uh, the last person 
was supposed to be Allison. Um, so Allison McHugh has been kind of mentoring us and helping us uh, with our program development. So she might be considered sort of a I don't know, nurse, executive, administrator type. So that's kind of, a, I think, a, a different kind of role than uh, maybe traditionally uh, we had here. Although Donna was kind of, a, I guess, a nurse administrator, executive. So we've kind of been recognizing, I've been talking, you know, what do they say, preaching to the choir uh, <laughs> with this group here. But Carol, we just showed uh, the group from Five West. Okay. So before I move on to the next slide, I was just showing the, uh, the reason I haven't sent out my neuroscience week cards to everybody is because I didn't really know who a neuroscience nurse was anymore. It's very complicated. So uh, we don't look convinced. But uh, so we're just going to talk about some of these non-traditional roles uh, nurses are playing. So I think um, the American Stroke Association has really recognized the specific um, expertise that's required within the nursing field for stroke. And I was going to give you a few examples of that. Um, so this is just from a stroke meeting. So we now have this international stroke meeting every year. And uh, over time, um, they've kind of carved out the whole first day for nurses. Um, so they have the whole first day called State of the Science Stroke Nursing Symposium. So a lot of nurses start out with that and then they stay on for the whole rest of the meeting, which is for everybody. So um, it's, it's really developed and it's really high quality now. Um, I think they have very good attendance for that. Um, so that's one of the examples. The, uh, the American Stroke Association, which is in the AHA, also has scientific statements. This was an example I thought that really stood out in 2009 that really is focusing on what the nursing role is for the care of the acute stroke patient. <clears throat> so these are very well-known authors now. There's a group that everybody who works in stroke recognizes now. So it's, it's really developed. There's, there's very well-recognized nurses and um, stroke coordinators from one of the, some of the bigger centers that are um, being recognized now. So a couple of things I pulled out from this statement in 2009 that are relevant. Um, one of them, it's hard to see here, but I'll highlight them. This is one of the tables from that paper talking about the specific roles of nursing in a joint commission primary stroke center certification. So uh, what a stroke center is and the nurse's role within that has really developed and been defined. So there's just a couple things, you know, so the role includes bringing a team together, um, educating in-house nursing personnel, developing things including order sets and pathways, um, collecting data, coding, certification, all these things that are obviously not uh, what some people have gone to med or, uh, nursing school for, but uh, maybe some of that is. But um, So these are really laid out in these kinds of documents now. And uh, that's why as we are looking at what we're going to do here in our certification in the future, uh, the nurse's role is, becomes really central. <clears throat> so this is um, right off the press from yesterday. There's a new American Stroke Association guideline for intracerebral hemorrhage, and there's a specific um, section on nursing care, and I just pulled out one part of this, and this just lays out that there's specific nursing care and training required for intracerebral hemorrhage patients in ICUs and delineated by this Brain Attack Coalition, which kind of helps develop guidelines along with the American Stroke Association. So these include things like how the patients have uh, surveillance and monitoring of ICP and cerebral perfusion and hemodynamic functioning, uh, detailed assessments of neurological function, including 
scales like the NIH stroke scale, including in addition to the Glasgow Coma scale, and um, titration and implementation of certain protocols for management of inter increased intracranial pressure, blood pressure, mechanical ventilation, fever, and serum glucose, and prevention of complications. So it's now become part of every new guideline, including um, palliative care, like what the nurses role is of, of that guideline. Now I noticed that there, I don't think there were any nurses on this um, statement that I actually, there are some, I, I take it back. No, Judith Spilker was, I, I looked at the disclosure table and I didn't notice any nurses on that, maybe because the nurses didn't have any, but actually they did get um, contributions um, from a lot of nurses. Debbie Summers is well known, Judith Spilker, these are very well known in, in the United States. So I guess what I was meant to say is I didn't see a specific organization like the AANN that was supporting this particular guideline. So um, they do have the AHA Cardiovascular Nursing and Stroke Council. So it was really within the AHA, is, um, I guess, which does encompass nursing care at this point. Okay. You know, I think where I got the idea that I'm mistaken is I was looking at the AH, the ICH guideline, and this one had no nurses on it that just came out. So I think when they have some of these um, clinical guidelines on specific areas like TPA or hemorrhage, and those I think they often don't include the nurses as much or include those professional organizations. Uh, so that's probably a weakness, but that's what I was thinking of when I said that. Okay. So I was going to turn a little bit more towards uh, what we've been looking at here, and uh, Nancy will probably get hypertensive if she sees the slide. Um, this, this is uh, since the fall we've been uh, looking at uh, how we're going to improve our program and sort of the the um, guideline and the menus and the um, path for what some of these more advanced centers are doing is um, to look at becoming a comprehensive stroke center recognized by the Joint Commission. And it's a very detailed set of measures and it's very rigorous. So in the fall we started to look at how we would do that and we didn't have anything really in place. And um, this is just one of the uh, visuals about the project plan. So we, we broke up the different categories into all these different things we call buckets. And uh, those encompass everything from outreach to neurocritical care, neurosurgery, data, administration, EMS, all of these things that encompass the whole aspects of uh, stroke care. <clears throat> and obviously nursing uh, is vital to many of these, and all of them probably. And uh, we're still in this early phase here, and uh, we've gotten a little caught up and stalled in some ways, but I think it's understandable. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about that, but it's been, um, I think very uh, productive and really getting um, different people involved in the whole process. Um, one example is we had this retreat, you always have to have a retreat I guess if you have a group working on something, but this was at the Norwich Inn last, um, last year and um, Allison was leading this. Um, now I found Allison on LinkedIn and um, it turns out that she's uh, in addition to everything she does here, she actually mentors people on the side, I guess. I don't know, maybe some of you know this, but I was hoping she was here today. I was gonna, but um, she decided she would mentor me. So um, she didn't have enough to do. So the first thing she did is she gave us this book. She gave me this book. How many people know Allison here? 
Okay. Um, so she's been great. So she's very positive and optimistic. Um, and she gave, I think I sort of make fun of her because this is about uh, the philosophy of Walt Disney and applying it to um, systems and businesses and organizations and things. So that's what she gave me first. <clears throat> now, as the project went on and got more difficult, um, there was other books. So this was the next one. It's called The Execution Shortcut. It doesn't have anything to do with executing people or anything. But it's, it's, it's about how some strategic, uh, some strategies take the hidden path to success while others never reach the finish line. So it, it talks about why some, uh, some efforts kind of get caught up and don't make progress and things like that. So it's a very good book. So that was the second one. As it went on longer, she gave me this other book. It's called One Small Step Can Change Your Life. Um, so this is the Kaizen way. So it's, I've been starting to look at this. So it's a very simple philosophy. Anybody familiar with it? Okay. So it says great change um, is made through small steps. You ask small questions. You think small thoughts. You take small actions. You solve small problems. And um, there's actually a quote from Allison on the book. And it says, this book is awesome. Let's have a meeting, maybe two, to chat about it. So, <laughs> So I didn't know she was so involved in that book. Now, the last book she gave me, I'm reading now. It's called Wherever You Go, There You Are. So um, this one is good um, because it has some chapters about you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf in praise of non-doing, the non-doing paradox, non-doing in action, and doing non-doing. That's my favorite. <laughs> so this has been very insightful for me. So we're, um, we're still proceeding forward, but we're learning a lot of things about ourselves and um, the, the system we work in. So I want to talk a little bit about education related to nurses, because that's really been the area that we uh, can see in some ways that we've been most efficient in and that we need to do the most in. So uh, with all of this work, looking at being a comprehensive stroke center, we've sort of... Uh, gathered all these different resources and great websites and things like that. So I was going to give you a few examples of that. <clears throat> so these are some examples. So some of you are probably familiar with this. Uh, Hemispheres has a great um, section for um, stroke education. It costs $189 uh, per person, and it gives you 38 hours of nursing uh, credit. Um, I have a little video for that to explain it. Hopefully the volume is good. Anybody here use hemispheres for anything? But we all know how we like e-learning e stuff. Welcome and to Hemispheres, a stroke competency series by Apex Innovations. We'll give it a little flavor. You will learn better when you see, hear, and do. That's why we build our courses with intelligent interactivity. Hemispheres is an always current stroke education series designed to cover just about everything you need to know about stroke and the care of the stroke patient. This comprehensive series so provides voice eight levels of interactive stroke education app that will increase your staff's knowledge of anatomy and physiology, stroke pathophysiology, pre-hospital and emergency department care, ischemic and hemorrhagic stroke care, stroke prevention, excellence in stroke care, and including the NIH stroke scale training and certification. Level 1 presents the basic anatomy and physiology of the brain and its supporting structures. So it's kind of all uh, independent learning, clicking Cerebral circulation is addressed with emphasis on the different areas of the brain and the vessels which supply them. Robert, you could have just copied this for your talk. 
<laughs> Just kidding. We're doing a nurse uh, education day yesterday and today, and there's one part that we do similar to that on anatomy. Um, the other area is the uh, AANN um, has a, um, a review manual and an actual uh, certification for stroke, um, stroke nurses. So this is something relatively new. So the book for this uh, costs about $115, and then you can take a self-assessment exam for 65, and then you can sit for the exam for 285. Um, so a couple of our nurses did that here, um, and I think found it valuable, and they get nice pins. Um, the uh, other thing which is more specific to neurocritical care is this course called the uh, ENLS. And I was gonna show you a little bit about that, because it's a little bit different uh, but it's excellent. I went through the course, um, and it costs $75 for nurses if you get the group rate, and it gives you 15 hours of nursing credit. So I was going to show you a little bit about this. I think it's a really well done course. Welcome to the online emergency neurological life support course. I don't get any support by the Neurocritical Care Society. ENLS is the most comprehensive certification course available for learning emergency neurological protocols. The ENLS course presents sets of protocols, practical checklists, decision points, and suggested communications for the treatment of 13 neurological emergencies, including ischemic stroke subarachnoid hemorrhage, traumatic brain injury, as well as intracranial hypertension and herniation. This course offers a total of up to 15 hours of level one CME credits. Each topic presentation has an associated exam. Certification for ENLS requires a passing score on all of the exams. A certificate of completion is provided upon successful completion of the course and exams. The ENLS protocols represent the most advanced approach to neurological emergency care ever developed. The course is valuable for neurologists, emergency room doctors, and other physicians who deal with neurological emergencies, as well as critical care advanced practice nurses, emergency room nurses, and pharmacists. The protocols are designed to expedite the treatment process and improve patient outcomes by integrating current knowledge with innovative new techniques that standardize care and enhance the effectiveness of communications among the entire acute care team. When a participant enters ENLS, the course begins with an introductory manuscript. Each of the 13 neurological emergencies is presented in turn, utilizing video illustrations. Using ischemic stroke as an example, an opening section describes the learning objective for this topic. Then an overview of pertinent protocols and communication techniques for handing off the patient are presented. The second section within a topic presents each step of the protocol in detail, item by item. A third section presents manuscripts that describe the evidence behind the protocols. The ENLS manuscripts can be downloaded from the Neurocritical Care Journal. In section four, the participant takes a multiple choice exam covering the information that's been presented within the topic. What follows the exam varies depending upon the emergency. In the case of ischemic stroke, the exam is followed by a podcast. 
a video, and a set of slides that must be viewed before continuing to the next topic. In addition to ischemic stroke, there are also sections on intracerebral hemorrhage, status epilepticus, subarachnoid hemorrhage, meningitis and encephalitis, airway management, including in So I, I took the whole course and it's very well done. Um, the, uh, the other one I wanted to mention was more of the basic um, stroke information for uh, at a more basic level and we found a very nice site from uh, uh, called the Carolina Acute Stroke Training um, called CAST and that has free access um, and you can, if you want to get credit it's $29 for eight and a half hours of nursing credit and uh, so I've, I've done that as well and it's very good so again I think Jeff is it Jeff Tarbox okay so we looked a little bit about um, what would it take to get uh, nurses uh, the time to be educated like the Comprehensive Stroke Center requirements uh, state? Um, and this, I don't know how, if this is totally accurate or not, but a lot of, we looked at all of the different um, positions and how much education they require. So the, the Joint Commission requires all different types of people who work here to have certain amounts of education. The highest level might be eight hours for the... Um, uh, a nurse that works in the neuro ICU or the medical director for the ICU. Um, the pharmacist or the janitors might need to have 15 minutes or know something about the stroke alert process. So they looked at how many people are in each of those positions. Jeff helped us with this. And then um, there was an estimate of how much it would cost to pay, I guess, for their time. And then well, to get started, basically, to meet the initial requirements, I think it came out to $137,880. That's actually just nurse Okay, so this was just for nursing. Okay, so that's part of it. All levels in nursing. But see, doctor, we don't get paid to do the scene, so there isn't. Any, um, so that that's there isn't. We just um, are expected to do it. So I don't know. Um, so there isn't a cost to, to tell physicians to do scene. We get paid a certain amount to go away for it. So I guess that's we get more than nurses do. Um, so that's just we're just looking at things like that because that's that's one of the. The issues that we realize uh, if you're going to require it's actually a big deal uh, like if there's any new thing rolled out if you really have to educate um, a large group of people that touch a patient who've had a stroke it's it's a bigger uh, ordeal than you might imagine and you can't just tell everybody to go to that website and, and do that um, at least it doesn't seem like that's the case so we're kind of taking things on ourselves and we've had an education day yesterday and today this is just a poster from that um, and it's, it's sort of the basics for stroke care, and uh, we've had a fair um, amount of participation, and we, we do our second half this afternoon. So we're hoping to have another session on more advanced topics and maybe get into the simulation lab more um, to work on specific things. Um, some other things that we're doing that overlap or involve nurses in a great way is the observation unit. So all of the clinical decision unit protocols look the same with uh, these algorithms. So this is for TIA, and uh, Amanda gave me permission to use her picture there, but she's often there, and it's sort of a NP-run physician uh, supervised unit where neurology and other subspecialists do a consult, but it's been very good. So patients, um, it's a very nice environment. Um, they often have no neurological deficits. They had a possible TIA, and they get some priority on getting testing done like MRIs. 
So it's, it's worked out very well, and I think um, um, it's a good example of the collaboration. Um, I'd say caveat enter, because uh, I think the nurses who work there, um, and other nurses, uh, I know you're probably aware of this, but it's, it's, un it's unclear how far this kind of thing will go. Obviously, I think nurses are going to be used for more and more things as there's shortages of physicians. But this was an example of something I just saw come out from the European Stroke Conference. So they're, they're really looking at nurses not only to do a lot of the care, but they're actually going to start doing a lot of the tests, like doing the carotid ultrasounds. So they're going to they're train their nurse practitioners to do the carotid ultrasounds. And I thought this quote was kind of funny. Um, to me at least, but it says, these nurses are already on staff and work over weekends and holidays. They have a sound clinical background and are already involved with this patient co cohort. So why not just have them do the test too? So. <laughs> um, we're doing more in the ER as well, and we're trying to optimize our, um, our acute response to stroke and what we do after that. So this is just an example. We, we have a stroke alert process here, like the trauma service. Um, we're also often in these trauma bays. This is just a mannequin. Um, and Harry's one of the nurses who's been working with us. So we have some nurses who really have worked in other areas, and they're, they're very good at helping us. Because neurologists aren't usually the type of people who are, like if you're having a trauma and you come to the ER, you don't want to have a neurologist like evaluating you usually, because you know we're not necessarily used to thinking uh, really efficiently. So um, we're doing some things for stroke care. We're going to have a type of uh, rapid process improvement workshop on June 11th. Um, and one of the things we did that's a little step is uh, getting coags back faster. So if you could be having an intracerebral hemorrhage and be on Coumadin, and if they sent your lab, uh, blood to the lab, it wouldn't get any priority over someone in the hospital who just has a random INR for the morning. So we, we thought that should be prioritized, which means it's sort of picked up and moved to the place where they analyze it a little faster. <coughs> so that's, that's the kind of thing that we're working on. Okay, we're also doing things in the sim lab that's trying to, um, it's mostly focused on the residents' performance, but some of it looks at the relationship uh, to the nurses. For the most part, uh, as this video will show you, the nursing role has been sort of a passive role for us to focus on the residents' performance. But we do look at how their, like their attitude and communication is too. But we're looking to expand it to be more of a assessment of a team. But I wanted to show you a little bit about that is the jail thing. This is a professional patient. Uh, we, all, we put all of our residents in this you go back here. Um, what they do is they have these two scenarios. This is like a typical ischemic stroke patient, and uh, I was going to show you a part where it's it's kind of well into it, just to give you a little flavor. But uh, we look at everything as far as their decision making, communication skills, and things like that. So I'll just show you a little snippet. Sorry about that. Giving a TPA now and calculating. In this case, the resident asked the nurse for help, and she's like, I don't know, I never gave this before. Um, and then the resident has to sort of help uh, do it.
So what, what, what this does is I have to mix um, this fluid with this powder. And I'll have then 100 milligrams. Okay. But I have to give it 54. Yes. So um, that's, that's basically the idea. So it's been very effective for assessing the residents. And we're actually this year going to start um, almost on their first day for our residents. Um, because they start taking call and have to be in that position almost on the first day. They have some, they have supervision, you know, extra supervision for a while, but um, some of the times they're, they're alone. So, um, one other thing we've done because of our experience in the, in the ED is uh, work on how we train nurses who are basically presenters for tele-stroke consults. So, um, this is just one other example of how a nurse might be taking on a Kind of different role than, than they are used to. So because we're examining the patient from the other end of the camera, we can't put our hands out and examine their vision and stuff. So we have to work with the nurses. So this is just a little example of a, of a kind of movie uh, we did. Let's just see if this works. I was hoping the ER nurses who are in this would be here. Um, with a couple of the ER nurses, you might like to focus on a few of the more difficult parts of the telestroke examination and specifically highlight how the ED staff can facilitate this process. Based on our experience, we have included visual field testing, eye movements, pupils, and inspection of the palate and gait. Visual field testing is one of the more challenging parts of the exam, where the neurologist relies heavily on the ED staff to demonstrate the findings. Visual loss can be the sole manifestation of stroke or can occur along with other deficits. We will be assessing for both central and peripheral vision loss by testing each of the quadrants. You will be asked to do several different things, including holding a finger still in each quadrant and have them identify the number of fingers, then wiggling a finger in the far periphery and slowly moving it into the center, and lastly, showing a card for them to identify what they see, which will demonstrate if they see the page in its entirety or are neglecting one side. For patients who are inattentive or sleepy, other methods of testing vision may be required, such as visual threat, when the hands are quickly moved in towards the face to see if there's defensive blinking and reaction to this. Yeah. Okay, let's check the upper. This is what it's like if I'm doing a, a telestroke consult. To her um, eyes, yeah. Yeah. Good. You don't want to block the camera, though. So you might want to lean back a little bit, have your arms all the way out, and then start. Typically, it's always uh, certain eyes. things like yeah. this that are challenging. Yeah. The nurses haven't you done it before. Lean as much forward as you need to. Go ahead. I'll let this play out because I'm almost done and I have some extra time. But there's a couple of other points on this. That's good. So it seems like she has trouble seeing there. So the other way, let's check it with counting fingers. So just display certain number of fingers in one quadrant at a time and see how she does with that. How many fingers do you see there? Two. Okay. And you don't have to move them, you just show them. So you like this, and then they're clearly <laughs> showing us like that. Okay. Okay. So we wanted to show how it's, this is kind of how the learning process occurs when you're... Yeah, because a lot of people, it's harder to count fingers back here, so you don't want to be just going to have her look at the kitchen scene and describe that. So, Jill, if you could look at the picture 
and um, hold it right in the center of her vision. This is part of the um, language assessment. Like that. Okay, now tell us what you... Okay, all right, very good. So it seems like her central vision is intact there because she's seeing the details, but she seems to have troubles with her peripheral vision. I don't see any visual neglect. Strokes involving the brainstem often produce limitation of eye movements, misalignment of the eyes, or abnormal eye movements. Nystagmus, a rhythmic movement of the eyes, usually in the horizontal direction, can be a clue as to whether a stroke is present and its location. These changes may be critical for the neurologist to assess the patient who might be presenting with nonspecific dizziness or a change in speech. A good examination of the positioning of the ED staff without blocking the neurologist's view. If the patient has troubles opening their eyelids fully, help them by gently holding them open. Put your finger and have her follow your finger from side to side. Look at the camera though. Okay, and then, okay, now I want you to follow my finger. Okay, follow it to the side possible brainstem strokes, a view of the palate is helpful. Decreased elevation of one parts side of the lighting and the looking mouth can be present uh, if a stroke involves in the mouth brainstem. They're difficult to get the angle the Finding should not be used alone to determine a patient's ability to swallow, since that involves many other muscles working in a coordinated fashion. If weakness of the palate is present, however, a more detailed bedside assessment of swallowing should be considered. Camera, see what I'm seeing, and so the lighting's not perfect yet. So you might want to kind of go no. a little bit like that. Okay. Lean and go, and then we'll. we'll so no, no. Uh, uh, meaning to the term selfie. In there, good, 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 good look. Okay. Again, one more time. Say ah. Uh. Okay. Very good. That all looks fine. And then we uh, sure that all show how we like to check the gates are safe. Um, sometimes we're deciding if the patient's going to leave their ED or not. Or and need to be moved back sometimes helps to know if they can walk or not. Okay, now hold your hands straight out like this. Okay, like that. Good. Okay, you can put your hands down. And this when conducting a stroke assessment by telemedicine. You must always be aware of your position relative to the patient in the camera. Never block the neurologist's view of the patient. Proper positioning of the card is essential. It may be necessary to reposition the card for some aspects of the exam. Proper lighting makes a big difference. Provide maximum overhead lighting initially. Be prepared to dim the room lights when requested and always have a flashlight ready. Keeping these simple steps in mind will allow for a fast, accurate exam and the most effective treatment for the patient. Okay, so that was fun putting that together. <clears throat> I'll talk about a couple of the other things we're, we've been uh, working on as well. So on the, in, on the inpatient side, uh, sorry, I don't know what that, oh, I think YouTube sometimes plays. <laughs> Okay, so on the inpatient side, um, we're, we're, our, our nurse practitioners, we're learning how to, um, what, what they can do and not to have them wasting their time just rounding with us unnecessarily, but rounding with us enough to know what's going on. 
so this is just an example of how uh, Jillian's been um, intermittently during the hospitalization, sort of doing a summary note that kind of fills a lot of the gaps. Um, usually the physician's doing everything right, but once in a while, maybe 1% of the time, we're not. So uh, this is just an example of a stroke rounding note, and it really focuses on all the uh, areas that we might be deficient in and that we forget to document, for example. So this has been very helpful. Um, this is uh, part of this note, so it includes some specifics on what education we provided, uh, what we, when we did it, and uh, so this, is, this has been very important. Uh, this is just an example from the back of my computer, um, a thing Jillian made, which includes the um, sort of checkbox for ischemic stroke, hemorrhagic stroke, and things that we're to keep in our minds as we're rounding. Um, so none of this is kind of new ideas for, for you guys, but it's, it's been helpful. Um, some of our other nurses on 5 Hygiene um, are helping us to try to develop more of a better education binder type of thing. So uh, we're starting to pilot this soon. So we've, we've had a lot of um, different mixed successes with uh, giving out materials and things like that. So what we're trying to do is, from admission, start um, sort of the, the binder and then with the standard core content and then give the relevant information as the hospitalization goes along. And there'll be different sections for the uh, uh, rehab aspects and other aspects, care management. Um, so then it'll be more relevant for that patient. And um, so we're, we're going to be piloting this. I think it's the kind of thing you're going to have to try and then adapt. Um, so that's one of the, one of the other things we're doing. We're, we're trying, um, some of these are requirements for um, comprehensive stroke center certification. So we're using that opportunity to kind of do a lot of things that make sense. So this is um, what we're doing, a, a more, um, systematic way of contacting patients after discharge. So this is um, patients who are discharged to home rather than a facility. We're having them get on a list. So this is a patient list here that's accessible uh, to our nurses in the clinic. And um, then they have a, a template of, uh, we, we try to get the usual things that uh, are important to check on at about a week after discharge with a stroke about their, if they're on anticoagulants and things like that. Um, if they had any questions, did they get their medications refilled, those kinds of standard things. So I think that's been fairly successful uh, so far. Now, this is a, all of these different things in some facilities have been kind of put under one role, uh, what's called the nurse navigator. So this has nothing to do with the EDH navigator. This is an actual position um, called the stroke nurse navigator. So this is one of the um, more organized comprehensive stroke centers in Chicago um, called Alexian Brothers. It's a pretty good sized uh, healthcare system. Um, so this just, um, they train nurses to do this. So it's a specific position that, um, that helps the patient navigate through the system of having an acute stroke and then does some of the follow-up um, calls and the different scales, things like that. So it's a, it's a concept that seems to be catching on. So I have a couple of uh, other specific content from the Alexian brothers on this. So what they're doing currently is uh, during the inpatient phase, the nurse navigator participates in um, interdisciplinary rounds. Um, 
they do some baseline assessments like depression screens, some functional scales. Um, they provide the education to the patient and uh, caregivers. Um, they also, when the patient is discharged, they do these telephone surveys at different time points. They do medication counseling, um, reinforce education, help make sure the appointments are all arranged. Some of these are um, currently you know, designated to other people. It can be very chaotic and disorganized at times now. So this hopes to make this more, more organized and uh, seamless. Um, and they're currently calling all the patients uh, at approximately a week. And they do <coughs> functional scales that are required to be a comprehensive stroke center um, at a month and three months. It's the modified ranking scale. <coughs> so that takes a lot of work. So some, some places have carved that work out one one position. Um, they feel like it's had a positive impact. Um, they find that there's um, less no-shows, there's more uh, showing up for the physician appointments. They have improved trend of medication compliance, lower rate of uh, readmissions and ED visits. All of these things make sense if you had a good support system after discharge. Um, better documentation of their outcomes, um, improvement in smoking, cessation. Um, so I don't have the, any more details uh, from them. So um, I think basically, don't tell Donna I said this again about being in the past, but what we're really looking for is to kind of bring those together. And, um, you know, um, I think there's a lot we can learn from the past and the people who uh, have our models to us, but also. Um, bring together all the different facets of uh, nursing care that are required for a stroke program and um, continue to, to see how we can um, utilize everyone appropriately. So maybe there's a spot for one of you here. So yeah, I'm just kidding. But um, so those are the main thoughts I wanted to give you today. I have extra time if you have any other questions. Yeah. How has your telemedicine um Adventure then, um, and, and where do you use it? I think we we're currently using it at Catholic Medical Center and Cheshire Medical Center, and and it's been going on uh, a year and a half. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, it started around Halloween of 2013, um, and we cover it uh, myself, and then we have the Mayo Clinic in uh, Phoenix. Um, Cover the consoles because I wasn't able to do that. So, um, and it hasn't um, so far. There's discussions about going other places, including more critical access hospitals. Um, and I, I think I'm very happy with the um, the equipment and the connection, and then the way we can access images. So we get a uh, an email with the radiology um, link where we can look at their CAT scans and it doesn't require them to have a medical record number. So I often get that before the consult starts. So that's very helpful. And um, the quality of the video and the ability um, to do the exam has been very helpful. And then we have a template for our node and it gets automatically um, faxed that ED. So I, I think there's a great need for it uh, at hospitals um, that are a lot more needy. So just started up in places that were um, actually um, 
less of the traditional places you would think of to do telemedicine, more of the populated areas. But it turns out that Manchester had a need for it because some they have actually, even though it's a large city, there weren't the they didn't have the access to acute uh, neurology care in the emergency department. So it's another thing. Cheshire has been a very good uh, place as well to do that. We have emergency medicine residents who go there. Uh, I know the uh, ER physicians there. We work on regional stroke issues. So I enjoyed it. I think we just have to find a way of expanding it more to the really needy places, you know, like Colebrook, uh, things like that. So I think there's no reason why, um, other than the details of how it's financed and all of that. So clinically, um, it makes a lot of sense and it's, it's very effective. Um, you can triage patients much better. I've diagnosed a lot of uh, stroke mimics, um, people with psychogenic strokes. It's like obvious to me when I look at them on video. Um, and those people, we don't know what would they have gotten if they didn't have that. It, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it can be very difficult for these ERs to decide and, they, and it's hard for them to describe things on the phone. So they're getting advice from people who um, are not really able to see the data. Uh, this is the alternative, what I've seen. They don't really know what the patient's like. They don't really, often they don't get to see the CAT scan. And then, um, and then the, the, the neurologist who's getting that call, they're not really comfortable saying definitively what to do. So it creates this dynamic that's very difficult to, uh, to make the decisions. So often patients in that, in that system they don't get treated if they might be eligible for TPA because there's this uncertainty, or they get treated and it's not a stroke. Because some of those, um, they don't recognize the non-stroke kind of aspects, these kind of red flags, and, they, and if they don't recognize them, they can't relay that over the phone. Would, so, any, would any of those people have been transported to DHMC previously? So has it reduced uh, the number of it has, it has in places like um, Catholic Medical Center. And um, so, because there's some places, they're kind of unique because they have like a ICU and um, so it, they're, they're very different. So that's the kind of place where the consult might suffice and then they can stay there. Um, that is one of the main goals of having a telephone program. That's usually how, yeah. In, in the current financial system, that's how it, it, it works for hospitals that um, that sign up for this because they have to pay for it and it's and it pays for them because they can keep patients there and they get reimbursed. It's actually a fairly good reimbursement if you give TPA and you keep a patient. If you give TPA, you send the patient, that hospital doesn't get the higher reimbursement for TPA, which is several thousand dollars more. And we don't get the extra amount either because we took the patient here. So nobody gets paid for that. So, it's been worked out financially that it, it, it pays if you keep a certain percentage of patients instead of sending them. Um, for the receiving sort of uh, the center, they've worked it out. You really probably have to have about seven spokes for it to kind of work financially. So you need to have a certain amount of volume for it to work in the, the most of the places that do it. So we're kind of in that gray zone of uh, starting out and not really uh, you know, being big enough for it to kind of be, um, be able to sustain itself, but yes. So what about our hospitals, um, our offices such as Scutney, Springfield, Do you, are you applying this there, or it's, when someone comes in an acute setting, or? 
Yeah, I think there's interest. Um, I think at, at, it's at some of those places, it's at the phase of initial discussions. And so clinically, I don't get involved with, I'm involved in a lot of these cases now, but as far as whether it's gonna start at that place or another place, I'm not involved in that decision at this point. Um, we have talked about looking at patients, doing consults when they're in rehab, say at a scutney, because it's very, very expensive, I didn't realize, uh, for them to take a patient from rehab and have them come here for an appointment. It's not just the um, transportation, but you have to pay for the uh, staff, the transportation, the driver. So that's, <clears throat> we have a card set up now in our clinic where we're all ready to see the patients when they're still down in Windsor and they don't have to come back. So um, that's, that's one thing we're looking at. As far as the ED, um, I think we could easily, it's another state, so all the people doing the consults have to get a license in Vermont. So if we have um, uh, 12 to 16 people in the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix, they all have to get a Vermont license to do that. So that, that's, that's kind of a lot of work and a lot of, it's a fair amount of money. So um, right now we're just in New Hampshire, um, but that could be, could be done. So you're right, a lot of these um, hospitals, we have a bypass protocol with monoscopy. So if the patient is recognized as a stroke in the field, they can come directly here. So if anything, that's kind of hard. So. Yeah. Do you feel that telemedicine uh, visuals are good enough to assess them adequately? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. This may this doesn't give it uh, uh, really justice. That that was not. It's, it's much better. It's very high quality uh, video. Um, where it can get hard is sometimes the audio. Audio is you know you have an old person who's hard of hearing and then they're a little bit slurred. Sometimes there's a little bit of yelling back and forth. Um, and you can't go right up there. I guess, we, I guess we could do that with the cart. We could go right up there. How about now? <laughs> a little person. Yeah. Yeah, so there, there's still some things to work out with the audio. Sometimes the cart sits back here and the patient's head up there. So it's not exactly the same as going there to their ear. Um, but the video is very good. Sometimes to wa watch them walk around. Like here, you know, some of the systems use a robot. These are more expensive, so the cart is a robot, so I could sit there and I could drive around the ER bay and then have them, okay, let's go for a walk down the hallway. And so I could do that. It's a little hard now to like assess their gait, because sometimes the rooms are small and I have to, I can't see them when they're, you know, I only see the top half of their body. So it's, it's still some tweaking. Um, there's some lower cost sort of mobile systems that are coming out, um, or you could just have somebody move the cart. Any other questions? Do you have a new colleague joining? Oh yeah, thanks for reminding me. So yeah, there's a new stroke neurologist who started this week, um, Diana Rojas Soto. She came from SUNY Downstate. So um, hopefully um, she'll be helping a lot with education, telestroke, all of these different things, clinical trials. She's been involved in a lot of clinical trials and has all the certification and things. So, okay, Virgin. Any last thoughts? Just sitting with my phone. Okay. Wow. Okay. Thanks a lot, everybody.